Welcome to the Stoke Connect podcast series. Our podcasts are designed to not only connect with our staff, but to also motivate, inspire and educate on trending topics in our industry, plus so much more. You'll discover about your fellow colleagues, we'll explore some industry-relevant topics and share useful tips on well-being, health and safety, as well as career and personal development. To hear our latest episode, go to stowaustralia.com.au or head to our Facebook page to hear the latest podcast. We hope that you enjoy the next episode of the Stow Connect podcast series. Well, hello and welcome to the next episode of the Stow Australia podcast series. My name's Craig Pendleton, and today I'm sitting down with Cuddy Felton from the Accidental Counselor Group. Many of us in the Stowe family know Cuddy quite well from previous training that she's carried out for us, typically response skill training and awareness training in the mental health space. Uh, so we're very fortunate to be sitting down with Cuddy today to get some insights on this very important topic. Thanks, Craig. It's great to be with you. Well, Cuddy, firstly, I'd like to just hear a little bit about your career journey. What you do is not a normal occupation, like helping people to become accidental counsellors and giving them background training. Uh, So just talk us through how you got into a position of doing what you do. So Craig, as you say, uh, perhaps my background is a little bit unusual uh, because I started my life as a solicitor in practice. And although I was really well trained and quite a generalist uh, in that space, I did, as the years progressed, find that I didn't really have all of the necessary skills. Uh, In particular, I worked within the personal injury space. So speaking with people who had experienced, let's say, workplace accidents uh, or perhaps suffered catastrophic injuries in motor vehicle accidents, those types of things. And although I had all the experience I needed to handle those from a legal perspective, What I didn't have was the skill to respond to those people or to those who care for them in a way that would not only be appropriate, but would also be empathic, uh, that would be respectful, and very much that would be within carefully defined boundaries because, you know, I'm not a therapist or a counsellor, and none of us are. So it was those skills that I really was looking for. So... I moved to Australia after being in practice for 10 years. As I say, I became an admitted solicitor here as well. But then I started looking around to fill in those skills. And the organisation I chose uh, many years ago now was Lifeline. So I became a volunteer telephone crisis supporter on Lifeline's 13-11-14 suicide prevention and crisis intervention line. And ultimately, uh, not only did I volunteer as a crisis supporter, but I mentored on that line and then ran Lifeline Harvard Hawkesbury's corporate and community training for around about four years. But it was really pulling in my uh, legal experiences, my experiences in the greater commercial sort of arena, as well as those experiences on the Lifeline telephones that uh, allowed me to develop the training that I now deliver right across Australia and into all sorts of different industry groups. So not the usual background, uh, but one that, one that gives me the ability, I guess, from through the corporate eyes, let's put it that way, uh, to look at these skills rather than uh, through the uh, you know traditional counselling eyes. Well, I must admit, Cuddy, everyone in Stowe I've spoken to who's done one of your courses just absolutely raves about it. They walk away feeling good and that they've got useful skills out of it. Why do you think your courses are typically so well received? 
I think because it resonates strongly with most people, particularly we're all aware of our colleagues um, around us. We become aware when they are perhaps struggling, maybe feeling vulnerable, fragile, and so on. But it's incredibly tough to understand what our own role is in those moments. You know, certainly we understand that we're not therapists, but what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to actually respond to that? And in particular, what are the boundaries? And I think that uh, what gets expressed to me so often in these courses is that people say it's a huge relief. It comes as a massive relief to understand how to respond to that person, but also what the boundaries are to make sure that we're not overstepping in terms of our own skill and perhaps actually saying the wrong things, resulting in extra harm. So I think it's that sense of relief uh, that comes, which is uh, really powerful. And I think, Cuddy, instilling confidence is so important in these situations. Um, our accidental counsellors, you know, may find themselves one day talking to someone who's at a bit of a crossroads. They may be at some sort of a risk of self-harm or, or another condition. And our people have the ability to make a positive impact on those people. And, you know, let's face it, it can be a very scary situation when you're the person standing at the crossroads with your colleague. Absolutely. And uh, that is an incredibly confronting situation to be in, a terrifying one, quite frankly. So, you know, if we can uh, um, arm people with the skills and the knowledge as to how it is that they respond in those moments, uh, that, as you say, can be life-changing, not only for the person who is, you know, really struggling, but also for the person who's responding. So very much part of what we talk about is the need for self-care as well. Um, you know, these are not experiences that you just uh, kind of encounter and shrug off and, and move on with your day. Uh, it really is important to work through that if you've been through uh, an experience that is as confronting as those instances really are. And I'm guessing it's knowing the questions to ask and how to phrase them that's so important. Yes, absolutely. You know, we have so many fears um, that we might make things worse. And there are a lot of misconceptions, particularly around situations where we are worried uh, that there is a risk of suicide or of self-harm. Of course, what we emphasise the most is that if anyone is ever in imminent danger, if there is any imminent risk, that, of course, is absolutely an emergency situation. You know, in that situation, you would call triple zero, get the emergency services involved. However, in most situations, we become aware of this risk and the danger isn't necessarily imminent. And it's in those moments that it's so important to understand that asking this person directly whether or not they are thinking of suicide is the most powerful and profound thing that you can do. Of course, the fear we have around that, the, the reason why most people really don't do that is because we are terrified of the answer. And so what the training does is it equips you with the understanding of what to do if that answer is yes. And essentially, I keep it very, very simple. There really are only two things that you need to remember if you have asked someone if they are thinking of suicide and the answer is yes. Obviously, as I say, in immediate danger, you call triple zero. But other than that, there are only two things. The first thing is to realize 
that you cannot solve this problem. You can, it is not within your ability to fix this for them. And the only other thing you need to remember in that moment is that you are not alone. You see, your role in that moment is to, to ask, to hear, and then to connect that person with the appropriate hope and help. So you do that by remembering the two things. It's not for me to, to, I cannot fix this problem and I'm not alone because you see, if at any stage it's not immediately obvious as to what to do, sometimes it is, sometimes you'll take that person to the local emergency department that has a mental health unit attached or what have you. But if it's not immediately obvious, the only other thing you need to remember is that you can at any time, day or night, literally pick up the phone and call Lifeline. 13, 11, 14, that's, that's what Lifeline does. If that person doesn't want to speak to Lifeline directly, you talk to them. We call that a third-party suicide. You're not expected to know what to do. Lifeline will guide you through that process. So it's, it really is as simple as that. Please ask if you get a gut feeling. I can still remember, Cuddy, sitting in on one of your courses we're actually doing this exact topic we're talking about now. And I remember putting my hand up and saying, oh, Cuddy, can we ask the question in a different fashion? Can we ask them something like, oh, you're not thinking of doing something stupid? And I still remember your words to this day. You said, no, Craig, you've got to be very direct, no ambiguity. You've just got to say, are you thinking of committing suicide as difficult as that may be? That's exactly right. Because, you know, you, you kind of... Um, forcing a particular answer out of people you know when you say to them you're not thinking of doing something silly are you well the automatic answer they're going to give is who me no of course not uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not thinking about suicide what it usually means or often means is well I don't consider suicide to be something that is silly and so that's why they give the answer no. um, so yes being absolutely straight and unambiguous and you know it sounds that easy for me to say when I'm speaking about it on a podcast in real life it is extraordinarily difficult but it has to be as clear as that that advice has stuck with me to this day touch wood I've never had to use that advice but it's certainly something that I've carried with me ever since we did your course just moving on Cuddy you're running training for a lot of organizations not just Stowe are you coming across recurring themes or fears or anxieties that the people that you train are expressing to you? Uh, absolutely. The, the first most common one that we've already touched on is the boundaries. Um, so that, you know, that's a really important discussion uh, that we have. And it's not only the boundary that says you're not the therapist, it's also the boundary of the conversations you're having and boundaries that are there because there are certain organizational policies we work with them. Uh, but the other very, very common uh, situation that is arising and, and comments that I'm hearing at the moment, and particularly now, 18 months into the pandemic, uh, is that many people are struggling with, for want of better terminology, things like compassion fatigue, uh, you know, uh, sometimes vicarious trauma, burnout, and so on. In other words, people are starting at times to become a little bit cynical uh, or suspicious. And so I'll hear people saying to me, you know, this particular colleague of mine, for instance, um, they're aware that there are certain things that we can do for them if they're struggling, whatever that might be, extra leave or whatever provisions they are. Um, and, you know, really, so they're just 
kind of trying it on at the moment. I don't actually believe that this is in fact something that they're struggling with. So there's a lot of that and it's quite, I mean, it's not unusual when we've all been through a long period that's really tough for people to start uh, having that kind of difficulty. So that then does result in many different conversations around, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at this from an organizational perspective. So what does your organization expect from you uh, when you're responding? Do they expect you to make very sure that absolutely nobody who doesn't deserve special consideration gets it? Or do they say, hang on a sec, we need to make very sure that nobody who works for us is going to fall through the cracks. And you know what? If one or two people might get an extra day or something that they weren't necessarily entitled to, well, in many senses, um, again, for want of better use of terminology, that's an acceptable cost of doing business because it's way more important that nobody falls through the cracks. So it's talking about the underlying uh, philosophy, as it were, or the intent of the organisation and then talking around how do we, despite the fact that we feel cynical, how do we make sure that we actually push our judgment aside in those moments? So those are incredibly common themes uh, right at the moment. So if someone listens to this podcast today and then in the coming days or weeks is chatting to someone and goes, oh, I think that person might be uh, having some sort of a, a crisis or an issue, have you got any little tips or advice about how that person who finds themselves in that situation accidentally can maybe assist that person? Absolutely. It can be so difficult to realise that someone else is really struggling with their mental health and it can be even more difficult when you become aware that, you know, from your own perspective, it's obvious that they need extra uh, probably professional assistance, but they're not getting it. Uh, So that can generate a whole lot of quite triggering feelings in you as well. But the most important thing to realise in that moment, um, obviously, you know, whenever there's danger, that's an emergency and we deal with that separately. But other than that, really the most important thing to realise is that we cannot essentially drag people kicking and screaming to go and get help. Even if you could do that, it wouldn't be in any way effective because if people don't engage in the process, well, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, So essentially what we need to understand is that we owe each person respect. You know, that's the core value of everything we do. And what respect means in this context is that we understand completely that the choice as to whether or not to go forward and get additional help rests with that person that is not our choice so we cannot choose for them we cannot force them but that doesn't for one moment mean that there's nothing that we can do because very often the actual core reason why people even though they need extra assistance why they don't go forward and get it is because they don't really understand what it means or there's a whole lot of stigma around it you know fear that they will be seen as being weak Uh, fear that within the organisation that will perhaps limit their progression. You know, there's so many reasons why people don't get help. So if you can have a conversation with them around that, that's usually the most important. So in other words, if you can say to that person, look, you know, it seems as if you'd really benefit from some additional help, professional help. But 
be quite resistant to that idea. You know, can you tell me what is it about that idea that is bothering you? Because you see, then if you can clarify some of those misconceptions and reduce some of that stigma, usually that's the most helpful conversation because that's the one that allows them, kind of opens the door and allows them to take their own steps forward and make that choice. And I'd like to hear your thoughts, Cuddy, on the role personality plays in our interactions. I know I could find it uh, more challenging to go up to someone with a big personality who I thought might be struggling as opposed to someone who's more shy and reserved. So I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that aspect. Yeah, they certainly do. And that's why if you're going to start a conversation with someone, it's really, really important that you don't diagnose them. Uh, first of all, because that's, you know, we're not capable of, yeah. of professionally diagnosing. But, you know, you'd never go to someone and say, hey, you know, Matt, it, uh, it looks as if you're really depressed at the moment. Because depression is actually a diagnosable mental illness. So what you would do, um, and that, you know, then really fits in with that uh, fact that it is personalities involved, is that you would really comment on the change that you have noticed because it's a change in behavior that actually alerts you to the fact that this person might be struggling with someone. So that's how you'd open the conversation by saying, hey, you know, I've noticed that whatever it is in our weekly meetings, uh, maybe it's a bit harder for you to engage at the moment. And just open the, open the conversation. If there's anything going on that would be helpful, you know, to chat about, please know that I'm here. And you'd actually leave it at that. You've planted the seed. They know they can now come and talk to you. But trying to force things out of people is not appropriate. It's not respectful. And I will say as well, it's not actually ethical. But absolutely letting them know that you have noticed and that you are there. Um, people will take you up on that. If they don't, very often what it means is that you've opened the idea in their mind that they need to talk to somebody. They might just have somebody else who's more appropriate, and that's perfect. Fair enough. Do you think, Cuddy, we're doing enough as a society to address this issue you know, are we moving fast enough? I personally think we're, we're making good inroads, but you're out there in the industry, you're talking to people. I'd be very keen to get your take on how you think we're, we're handling this issue as a society. Look, I, I agree with you. Over the years, we've come a huge way. Um, of course, well, now we've been hit with this pandemic and just, you know, in terms of mental health, what this pandemic has meant was that prior to COVID-19, every year in Australia, approximately one in five people would be experiencing mental illness. So that includes anxiety, depression, and so on. Through this pandemic, it looks as if that level is going to increase to something like one in three of us. So, I mean, that's a huge increase. And it's it's fantastic to see just how uh, much governments, both state and federal, you know, are pouring into um, mental health resources, um, propping up organisations and so on. So, so a lot is happening. Can we keep up? I, you know, are we keeping up? No, not necessarily. Um, but as a society, I do think it comes down to very much more uh, almost an individual space. Um, and I'm going to say this, I do think that an organisation such as Stowe is actually quite far ahead of most of the others that I go into. And I work across all sorts of industries and in huge, huge organisations. But in many organisations, it's kind of a lip service type of thing. Um, you know, we'll provide the fruit bowl on a Friday and we'll um, 
teach people to be resilient, you know, whatever that is supposed to mean. Uh, actually, for most people, what that means is we make them responsible rather than as an organization looking at what it is that we can do in terms of our own programs and policies and processes. Um, so, as I say, I think that stows quite a, a way ahead, particularly with that uh, new apprentice program that you have, because what you've done is you have very um, successfully, I suppose, identified a, a high-risk or an at-risk group, and you've thought carefully as to how uh, to bring that support that is really necessary. And you have internal flexibility and procedures and processes that I think um, are incredibly useful. As individuals, though, we all need to come further um, in, you know, having those skills to just notice when it is when our mates are struggling or vulnerable and to be able to just have a conversation with them, not be their therapist, but have that conversation. Well, Cuddy, hopefully we've been able to give the people in our Stowe family some good advice today. If they're looking for additional resources, they want to do some more research, I know you mentioned Lifeline earlier, where's a good place to start to find some more information on this topic? Absolutely. And in fact, can I just direct people to our own website, which is www.accidental-counselor-with-2ls.com because we do have a resources page there and um, we very much would love people to go in there there are resources about all sorts of things, about self-care, about how to debrief, um, about, you know, the conversation. So there is a lot there that people are, you know, able to access. Uh, for any of those people that um, have actually done uh, the accidental counsellor training with me, there's also actually a private um, alumni group on Facebook. And that's a fabulous group. People can come in there anonymously. Obviously, we need to know uh, who they are they can ask questions and start conversations anonymously and get um, a lot more information. It, uh, I've never felt comfortable with ending a training session and thinking that there are perhaps further questions that people have had that they haven't been able to answer. So that's a really good way um, to connect with me and to get, you know, have more conversation, get further answers. Excellent, Cuddy. Well, thank you for being so generous with your time today. I think we've covered a lot of ground and hopefully our Stowe family have learnt a lot from listening today. We look forward to having you back to do some more training for us in the future. And thank you once again for all your time today. My absolute pleasure. And if I could just end up by saying that uh, it really is important that everybody takes care of themselves, particularly at the moment. So thank you for having me. Our pleasure, Cuddy. Thank you very much. 